0: Consistency is a goal in almost every place of employment. From quality control all the way to the number of customers served, consistency is usually viewed as a positive sign. Consistency is also a hallmark of greatness among professional athletes. Jill Montana, Mia Hamm, Wayne Gretzky. There's some hockey for you, Pastor Josh. MJ, Jordan, not Fortney, and Serena Williams all showed consistency in their own sports over a long period of time. Consistency is a vital factor in our relationships as well. Friendships thrive on consistency. Marriage is incredibly aided by consistency. And consistency in parenting may be the most challenging parts of the job. However, no employer, no professional athlete, no friend, spouse or parent is always consistent. We can find dips in Jordan's stats, off years in a company's bottom line and difficult phases in parenting and in marriage. The fact of the matter is that none of us are perfectly consistent. But God is. And this is the theme, the major theme that we see from the longer passage that is our study this morning. So please locate in your copy of the Scriptures the Old Testament book of Joshua. It's the sixth book of the Christian Bible, and you can find it chapter 13. 13 on page 179 of the Pew copy of the Bible. By the way, if you're here this morning and you need a copy of the Scriptures, you're welcome to take a copy from the Pew. Joshua is a book that records some of the history of our promise-keeping God to his special people, the Israelites. We've already been studying for several weeks now. I believe this is the 16th study that we've had in the book of Joshua. The first five chapters uh, explain to us how God was faithful in keeping his promises as his children of Israel were entering into the promised land. And then chapters 6 through 12 talk about how Israel was required to fight for the promised land. And then in chapters 13 through 21, we see the distributing of the promised land. And then the last three chapters, 22, 23, and 24, give some admonishments regarding the promised land. And so it's that third section that we're coming to today, that chapters 13 to 21. We already looked at chapter 13, and we've already looked at parts of 14 and 15, but we're going to go from chapter 14 all the way through chapter 21 in the sermon today. And we will conclude, Lord willing, by tomorrow morning. Relax. I told my family that there are seven points to the sermon today, and they said, but they're brief points, right? Because it's a longer section today, I want to encourage you to to flip some pages with me. We're going we're to walk from 14 through 21 pretty much in order. And I think it would be valuable for you to see God's word with your own eyes versus, versus just taking my word for it. Now, in chapter 13, we talked about how two and a half tribes were on the east side of the Jordan and how they settled in. And here's a map. You can see it, a little bit of it. It might be too small for you. There's a copy for it in your bulletin as well. Reuben, uh, in chapter 13, verse 15, uh, was, was settling in, and then chap, uh, verse 24, Gad, and, then the, and verse 29, the half-tribe of Manasseh from Joshua 13. So chapters 14 through 21 are the other nine-and-a-half tribes on the, other, on the west side of the Jordan. The inheritance of these nine-and-a-half tribes. Throughout, there are a ton of details, names of cities that we cannot pronounce, list after list of boundaries. It's the legal description of the plots. Some of it might be tedious as you read through this in your own personal time if you're reading through the Bible. But we know that the Bible, all of the Bible, all of Scripture is profitable for us. We take it in this morning, even these details. If you've gathered with us today and you're not a follower of Christ, you don't know what it means to be born again, or you know what it means but you haven't actually asked Christ to rescue you from your sins and place your faith in, in Jesus Christ, you will see from this study God's undeniable care for those who are His and that God has made a way for you to be His child. Believer, from our study this morning, these chapters unfold a beautiful display of God's faithfulness, His ongoing, undeniable Relentless care for his children. He is consistent in his ways. Now, I realize that there's a better chance of one of the hymns going through your mind later this week than you remembering that, a hymn that we sang in our worship service, than you remembering everything that I preached this morning. I understand that. I usually have three or four big points, big ideas for you to, to kind of hang your thoughts on. Today, there are seven. So, Hopefully you can use the insert that's in the bulletin to, to track with me and then also to use that as a tool to review later this week as you give further thoughts to this passage. Christian, maybe the, the parenting thing has been a bit overwhelming recently. Maybe physical or financial woes have touched your own life. It could be that doubts and unbelief have been stronger in recent days. Or maybe depression is on the rise in your life. Whatever your situation, we've all gathered with just scores of different things that are going on in our hearts and minds, schedules and responsibilities. We have all these situations. Whatever your lot is this morning as a child of God, there is hope for you in reflecting on the consistent ways of your God. You can lean on God. He is able to hold you up. He will not fail you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you please note with me, first of all, the consistent uniqueness of God. I'll point out a couple of ways, beginning in chapter 14, verse number 1, that we see the consistent uniqueness of God. Joshua 14, verse 1. These are the countries with the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of Israel, children of Israel, distributed for inheritance to them. By lot, their inheritance, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine tribes and for the half-tribe. We remember that we've already studied uh, the life of Caleb last week. He was a Judahite. He was considered uh, in in part of chapter 14 and part of chapter 15. Jump now to chapter 15, verse number 1. This was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah. By their families, even to the border of Edom, the wilderness of Zin southward was the uttermost part of the south coast. Scan down through chapter 15. Let your eyes go over the, the, the names of the cities and rivers and coasts and mountains and villages and boundaries of all sorts. And then look with me at verse number 21 of chapter 15. And the uttermost cities of the tribe of the children of Judah toward the coast of Edom, southward, toward Kabzel and Eder and Jogar. These are the, this is the inheritance of Judah. So how does this point us to the unique ways of God? Judah was not the firstborn of Jacob's sons. And yet Jacob, Judah is receiving the inheritance first on this western side of the Jordan River. As we mentioned last week, Judah had received a special blessing from Jacob. So in, in, a, in what is a, a real turn from man's expectations, God gives Judah their inheritance first. We see something similar as we, we read next in the, of the inheritance of, of the tribes of Joseph, which are Manasseh and Ephraim. Look now at chapter 16, verse number 4. So the children of Joseph, chapter 16, verse 4. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, took their inheritance. And the border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was thus. And then they outline. You can let your eyes scan through all of the borders and the boundaries and the list that would would define the the, 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 the tribe of Ephraim. And then you can fast forward to chapter 17, verse 1. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh. For he was the firstborn of Joseph. And then it begins to describe the land that Manasseh would be inheriting. Here again, Manasseh was the older of Joseph's sons. However, the writer of Joshua describes Ephraim's territory before he describes Manasseh's. We remember back to Jacob, Israel as he was called, his blessing upon Joseph's sons. And there was a blessing that prioritized Ephraim above Manasseh there as well. Here in Joshua 16, both with Judah and then with Ephraim over Manasseh, we get another reminder, another hint of the unique ways of Jehovah God. God sometimes does the opposite of what we actually expect. That's why the God of the Bible is unique. He is not limited by the expectations of mortal man for he is immortal God. Paul said it this way to the church at Corinth: For you see, your calling, brethren, how that that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and these things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory. His presence. One commentator put it this way, God is not imprisoned by either Robert's rules of order or ours. And that is the reason we adore Him. Christian, pray earnestly. Give yourself earnestly to praying for God's will to be done. But then don't always expect God to follow your ideas for life. And this is good news for us because God always knows best what is best for his children. God is not limited by the expectations of mortal man. God is unique in his ways. This is a God you can trust. You can lean on God. He is able. He will not fail you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is consistent in his uniqueness. Second, we note the consistent welcome of God. And we're still in chapter 17, and we see in verses 3 through 6 a story that's inserted here. So follow along in chapter 17, verse number 3. But Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Makar, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but daughters. And these are the names of his daughters. Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah and Tirzah. And they came near before Eleazar the priest and before Joshua the son of Nun. That's, so these daughters are coming forward to, to Joshua, the, the leader of, of Israel, and Eleazar the priest. They come before the princes, saying, Here's what they, these ladies say The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brethren. Therefore, according to the command of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brethren of their father. Verse number five, and there fell ten portions to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of Jordan. Because the daughters of Manasseh had an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. Now usually, land was left to sons; the inheritance would go to the sons. But Zelophehad had no had died without having any sons. So five daughters appeal, asking for what would have been their father's land, their father's inheritance. Here are five brave women who absolutely refused to be passed over in regards to the promises of God, the promises that He had already made. They display the courageous faith that we saw in Caleb and Joshua earlier in our study. They displayed that courageous faith that Caleb and Joshua had when they went into the land as spies many years ago. These ladies are, are held up to us. These ladies are, are put in front of us to be, to be models of blatant boldness, to claim God's promises to them, that we too would be blatantly bold to do the same. These ladies confidently lived out to their faith in God, even though it ran counter to their own culture. The text tells us that these allotments were according to the decisions recorded by the writings of Moses. So they were looking at the writings of Moses and holding on to that, regarding that as the very word of God and being bold to claim those promises to them. This brief story inserted into the thousands of details of inheritance, this brief story teaches us The promises of God are for all who will come to Him. The promises of God are for all who will come to Him. Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. The promises of God are not for men only. God says, whoever comes to me, male or female, black or white, educated or uneducated, single or married, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile. All of the promises of God are available to all who come to Him. Now, even though these ladies may have felt like outsiders, they boldly claimed the promises that Jehovah God had made to them. Friend, maybe you somehow, in some way, feel like an outsider like you're on the outs, if you will, like you don't fit in. And let me just insert here, brothers and sisters, that there are indeed some within our congregation who feel like they are outsiders, that they don't quite fit in. So don't dismiss this this application as, as, as not being appropriate for harvest. Friends, see the example of these women. God welcomes you. His promise is for you. He welcomes you. Be bold to claim His promises as yours. Have you ever been to like a a department store of some sort? I know we all, you know, we shop on Amazon now, but back in the olden days, like the 1990s, uh, and you would go into the department store, and there was not somebody at the counter at the service desk, and there was that little, little bell there, Man, when I was a kid, I loved that thing. I hope they're not there. Boom! And we just love to, to ding that thing. But, you know, as, as most of you mature, I think I would still like to ding, to ding it, but as most people mature, they're like, ah, do I really want to ding the bell? I don't want to bother the associates. I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want them to get in trouble. I don't want them to, to be worried about, you know, you know, what their boss is thinking. I don't want to be a hassle for them. That's what the bell was for, though, right? To serve the customer, to help the one who is in need. Christian, don't be tentative to call on the God who has promised you that he is going to do all good things for you. God is available. He Be bold to claim the promises that he has made to you. If Jesus, the Son of God, is your sympathetic high priest at the right hand of God, then let us draw near with boldness to the throne of grace, in order that we may find help in time of need, as he has promised to give us. If God has provided a throne of grace, then let us by all means come to him boldly. As the hymn goes, we are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. You can never ask too much. My friends, God is welcoming to us. He is consistent in his welcoming of his children. You can lean on this God. He is able. He will not fail you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is consistent in His uniqueness. God is consistent in His welcome. Thirdly, God is consistent, the consistent patience of God. We see a couple of repeated themes in regards to God's patience, but also in regards to the Israelites' failures. In chapter 15, verse 63, the Judites' inability to, to dispossess the Jebusites In chapter 16, verse 10, Ephraim's failure to dispossess the people in Gezer. In chapter 17, verse 12 through 13, Manasseh's massive inability to control several different locations. They were showing an apathy for wholly following the Lord their God. You're in chapter 17, look at verse number 14. And the children of of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I'm a great people? forasmuch as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto. And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country, and cut down for thyself there in the land, and the parasites of, of the giants in, in Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they who are of bethshean and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast a great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood. And thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine. For thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. The tribes of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, were complaining about their inheritance. We don't have enough, Joshua. We need more. He, had, he replies to them, but in their complaint, they show their distrust of Jehovah's care for them. God had brought them out of Egypt. God had slain Pharaoh, drowned him out. God had delivered them over the Jordan and now through many against many adversaries. But there is caution and complaints and hesitancy that arises from unbelief, from distrust, from doubts. Brothers and sisters. When we complain about how God has provided for us. We display our own distrust. Our own unbelief. When we complain about God's plan for our life. It's like telling God that we could have done better. Than he did. And how our life has unfolded. When we complain about our family makeup. Our finances. Our living conditions. We fail to trust. The 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 consistent ways, the faithfulness of our God. But God was patient with Israel and God has been patient with us. Psalm 103 tells us the Lord is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He does not deal with us according to our sins. And my friends, a God like that is a God you can trust. God, you can can lean on God. He is able. He will not fail you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is consistent in His uniqueness. God is consistent in His welcome. God is consistent in His patience. Fourthly, God, we see, we see in Joshua chapter 18, the, the consistent focus of God. You're at chapter 18 now, verse number 1. The whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land was subdued Before them. Earlier God had told Moses. Joshua's predecessor that. Yahweh would one day choose a place in the land. Where he was to be worshipped. Where there would be a focus. Where sacrifices could be offered. And sacrificial meals would be able to be enjoyed. So they set up the tent of meeting at Shiloh. God was not moving on from that spot. For a while. He was there. It was a place where focus on God could be emphasized. It was a geographically central location for the tribes of Israel. God wanted his people to worship him faithfully, joyfully, and securely. And then after we see this establishment of of the worship center in Shiloh, we have more inheritances that are being outlined. So look at chapter 18, verse number 11. And a lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families. And the coast of their lot came forth between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Fast forward to chapter 19, verse number 1. And the second lot came forth to Simeon. Even for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families and their children, was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. You can scan down through and begin to see the boundaries for the tribe of Simeon. Now a quick word... About the two tribes of Levi and Simeon, their tribal patriarch, patriarchal heads, namely Levi and Simeon, two of Jacob's sons, had led a slaughter against the Shechemites, and here's the results of what God says in Genesis chapter 49, verse 7, about Levi and Simeon. He says. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. They went against God's leading, and so God judged Levi and Simeon, and that judgment included losing a full inheritance. And so though although they are judged, God meted out that judgment in a gracious way. If you can see the map or your, your own copy there in front of you, Simeon didn't get their own territory. As chapter 19, verse 1 tells us, Simeon was located within a tribe, within the inheritance of Judah. And Levi we will discuss in a few minutes. But here is another fulfillment of God's word. Now look at chapter 19, verse number 10. And the third lot came for the children of Zebulun, according to their families, and the border of their inheritance, and it continues on. Chapter 19, verse 17, And the fourth lot came to Issachar, for the children of Issachar, according to their families. And it describes their inheritance. Let your eyes scan through some of those boundaries. Verse number 24, The fifth lot came out of the tribe of the children of Asher, according to their families. Let your eyes scan down through, see their boundaries. Verse 32, The sixth lot came to the the children of Naphtali, even for the children of Naphtali, according to to their families, and you can see some of their boundaries all the way down to verse number 40. And the seventh lot came out for the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families. And the coast and the boundaries are further described there. For all of these tribes, God desired to have a consistent focus, that He would be the center of the worship. Worship of God must be central to them, and my friends, our worship of God must be central to our lives. So in the quietness of this room, briefly examine your own hearts. Ask God to reveal to you the focus of your hearts. What is central to you on July 28th, 2019? God is worthy of the worship, of the focus He calls for. He alone is worthy. And that is why He is a God you can trust. You can lean on God. He is able. He will not fail you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, we see that God is consistent in His uniqueness, in His welcome, in His patience, in His focus. Fifthly, we see that He is consistent in His generosity. The generosity, the consistent generosity of God. Think for a second with me about Joshua. Joshua had been called by God to serve as a spy and to report on the promised land before he entered into the to, to, before Israel entered into the promised land. God called on Joshua to serve as, as an assistant to Moses after Israel had rejected uh, his spy report. And he did all that. Uh, he, he served as Moses' assistant all the way through those years in the wilderness. Then God called Joshua to serve as a replacement to Moses, to lead the children at a significant time of transition. For the nation. Then God called Joshua to spearhead Israel's crossing of the Jordan River and entrance into the promised land and the military agenda, that, that great big agenda that they had to, to go in and dispossess the Canaanites. Finally, God called on Joshua to facilitate the allotment or, or the distribution of the inherited land to each of the tribes of Israel. Finally, after all of this service to the Lord, Joshua now receives his own inheritance. And we're up to chapter 19 and verse number 49. Would you please follow along in God's word. When they had made an end of dividing the land for an inheritance by their coasts, the children of Israel gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun among them. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked. Even Timnath Sarah in Mount Ephraim, and he built the city and he dwelt therein. Two simple verses which reflect the generous ways of our God. The description of these western tribes, these nine and a half tribes to the west of Jordan, recorded in chapters 14 through 21, are bookend by two spies. We see Caleb in chapter 14, and now we see Joshua at the end of the allotments. What's a satisfying end to a phenomenal military and spiritual adventure by the servant of the Lord Joshua. God was generous to reward his servant Joshua. Friends, God has promised his children that there will be a heavenly inheritance for us as well. God desires to welcome you to a heavenly, generous inheritance that's made available to you in Christ Jesus Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours if you are in Christ Jesus. What a generous, consistently generous God that we have. This is a God you can trust. This is a God that you can lean on. He is able. He will not fail you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is consistent in his uniqueness. He is consistent in his welcome. He is consistent in his patience, in his focus, in his generosity. Number six, we see the consistent justice of God. And here we will come to chapter number 20. We see here in chapters 20 and 21 a bunch of information about cities. Now, we all understand what it is to have hometown pride, right, in our city, Even after moving away from our hometown, we carry a love for a hometown that's a love that's stronger than where we may currently be. Some of America's biggest cities even have well-known slogans that offer insights into what that city is like. So we know where people are referring to or what they're talking about when we hear the big D or the windy city or the big apple or the city of brotherly shove. We understand about cities. God designated 48 cities for the Levites and priests scattered through the land, and we'll come to that in chapter 21. But here in chapter 20, there are six cities of refuge, three on the east and three on the west of the Jordan. You're in chapter 20, verse number 1. The Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, "...speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer, or a manslayer, or somebody who murders someone, the slayer that killeth any person unawares, not intentionally, unwittingly may flee into one of these cities, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he that doth flee into those cities shall stand at the entering of the gates of the city, "...and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them, and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly, and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city, until until he stand before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days." Then shall the slayer return and come into his own city, into his own house, into the city from whence he fled. When a family or a clan member was killed by someone, the family would gather together and an avenger of blood would would go out for the relative. It was playing out the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Moses had instructed that there be cities of refuge established so that an accidental manslayer could flee for safety. And once that manslayer was, had a hearing before the elders, if he was found innocent, he could live in that city until the high priest died. And if the high priest died, then he was free to go. He would not be hunted down. The avenger of blood would not be able to take him. God's law was taking into account the motives and intents of the hearts when there is a loss of life. God's law, these cities of refuge, were a display of the ways that God would mete out justice for his people. These cities of refuge and this description of God's justice, it reflects well the value that God places on human life. Somebody said it this way, life made in God's image always remains exceedingly sacred. Christian, always honor life. Respect the sacredness of human life. From conception of new life to the final breath, of that life, honor the life that God has created. Capital punishment was established because man is made in God's image, and God's image is too valuable to be shamelessly destroyed or ignored. Chapter 20, verse 9, tells us that foreigners living in the land of Israel could also flee to these cities. So it was a universal code of God's justice being played out. These cities of refuge... Remind us that there is safety available to all. That even foreigners or sojourners were able to come into these cities to find refuge. And there is also refuge in Jesus Christ for all who will come to Him. The doors of these cities of refuge were always unlocked. And the arms of Christ are always open to receive those who will come to Him. John's gospel says it this way that the Father gives me, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out, Jesus said. Revelation chapter 22 the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The cities of refuge were available not only for Jews, but for people of all races just as salvation is available to all people groups. If a manslayer in that day did not flee, did not find refuge in one of these six cities, there was really no hope for them. There was not another provision in the law to keep him safe. The avenger of blood would have the right to take his life. Friend, you too have been pursued by an avenger. The Bible explains to us that the devil is like a roaring lion walking about seeking someone to devour. Would you flee to Jesus today? Would you find refuge in the one who invites you to come? John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Have you come to Jesus And if you have not yet invited Christ to be your Savior, place your faith in Jesus. I invite you, I encourage you to do that today. If you have questions about what that looks like, how you can do that, talk with one of us after the service. We'll be happy to show you from God's Word what it means to be born again. The one true God of the Bible is a God of perfect justice. You can lean on Him. He is able. He will not fail you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The consistent justice of our God. And finally, in chapter 21, we see the consistent mercy of God. Joshua 21 closes out the section of the book that deals with the distribution of the promised land. Look at chapter 21, verse number 1. Then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites unto Eleazar the priest, and to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And these heads spake unto the spake unto them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give us cities to dwell in, with the suburbs thereof for our cattle. And the children of Israel gave unto the Levites out of their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their suburbs. And then verse number 5, And the rest of the children of Kohath had this. Verse number 6, and then verse number 7, verse number 13, you see that the Levites were given these cities. These cities were scat- These 40 cities were scattered throughout the land to benefit the Levites as they served the spiritual needs of the congregation. This provision was an example of God turning judgments into a blessing. Because you remember the judgment that we, we read from Genesis 49 a few minutes ago for, for Simeon and for Levi. They were scattered among Israel. They did not have their own land. They had not a portion of their land because their portion was for the Lord himself. The tribe of Levi included great leaders. Moses, Aaron, Phinehas, the third high priest, served for 19 years. Eli, he lived until he was 98 years old and served as a priest in Shiloh. Ezra, yet to come to be a distinguished scribe serving Nehemiah at the time of the Jews. At the time the Jews were returning from, from Babylon. John the Baptist was a Levite, the forerunner of Christ himself. So here it is. Even though the, the Levites were sojourners, in a sense, they were scattered abroad throughout Israel, God provided for their every need. Though their sins were many, His mercy was more. If you are suffering as a result of what others have done to you, the sin of your parents or another brother or sister in Christ, abuse of some sort, unkindness, injustice? Be encouraged from the story of Levi that God made beauty from ashes and he can do the same for you. Maybe you yourself have behaved in a way that has brought lifelong consequences to you. You should know that God is able to turn judgment into blessing. Isn't that what the core of the gospel is? God has turned the judgment that was placed on Jesus Christ at the cross into a blessing for all who call upon the name of the Lord. A God who can do this can be trusted. Professional athletes are never 100%. Places of employment waver on their bottom line from year to year. And parenting, marriage, and friendships all go through highs and lows. The fact of the matter is that none of us are perfectly Consistent. But God is. Though the entire through this entire distribution of the promised land, God displayed his steadfast, consistent ways. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can lean on God. He is able. He will not fail you. God was faithful to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and then to Moses, and to Joshua, and to the children of Israel, from Egypt through the wilderness, to Jordan's stormy banks, all the way through the distribution of the promised land. God was consistent in His ways to King David, and then Daniel, then Peter, and to Mary. God was consistent in His working, in His ways with the early church fathers, with the Reformers, through the Great Awakening. And God, in His grace, has been consistent in His ways for almost 18 years of Harvest Bible Church. You can lean on God... He is able. He will not fail you. God is the same today. He will not fail you. You can lean on Jesus for your needs to be supplied. You can lean on Jesus to not leave you or to forsake you when everyone else in this world seems to have done so. You can lean on Jesus to be your help in the hardships of this life. You can lean on Jesus to be patient with you as you run through fields of apathy in your walk with Him. You can lean on Jesus to bring about justice in His good time. You can lean on Jesus to have new mercies available for you every day that you wake in this life. You can lean on God. He is able. He will not fail you. You can lean on Jesus for tomorrow tomorrow. Because Jesus' promise that He's coming again. You can lean on Jesus because when you die in this, at, at the end of this life, you'll be present with the Lord. You can lean on Jesus because your body will be redeemed on resurrection day at the return of Christ. And until then, you can rest in the God who is perfectly consistent in His ways with you, unique and welcoming and patient and generous and just, and merciful. Whatever your lots, He can handle. He is able. He will not fail you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is worthy for you to trust in, to lean on. And He is worthy of all of your worship. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.